Great split ends. One step ahead of you. How am I doing on my camera here? You know, the aspect ratio is different uh, with StreamYard than Zoom. At least I got the right mic. I need more headroom, right? I got a, I got a poofy hair day. I need more headroom. Let me do this. There we go. That's better, don't you think? What do you think, Peachy? P, you're on an island on that box. That box has become your lifeboat, hasn't it? Two days away. Can't wait. <laughs> Two days away. Um, how is everybody? Some of you were hanging out with us over on Astro Weather, and you've migrated over here. Thank you for doing that, if you have. Uh, we're going to be going for about an hour today and try to pack as much in as possible since there's still a lot to be done. Anyway, Split Ends, incredibly underrated group. I, I think as the Split Ends... I think they had, what, maybe three 
three or four records. When I was in high school, I actually bought their first record, which is very different than their other records. But there was one song on the first Split Ends record that was really, really good. Let me see if I can find it. Um, and they, so they were very theatrical. They were, it was like, you know, how, how bands, if they're not really, um, sure of their talent, right. They kind of go into theatrics, at least what they used to, how, how it kind of used to be. Um, let me see if I can find the first record. It's it's really rare that first split ends record. So this is what they this is what they looked like on their on their first record. Like they had this really kind of you know bizarre look to them this was the first record mental notes and you know they weren't above like throwing on makeup and shit and just looking you know, very kind of they kind of remind me a little bit of oingo boingo in some ways at this stage of their career um What was that song on their first record that was excellent? Let me see if I can if I can find it. Let's see. What was it? It was this one. Yeah, they were considered kind of a prog band. Uh during this period. It's kind of an interesting record. I think the song Stranger Than Fiction is the one that I'm talking about. It's a pretty cool tune, actually. But they're 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 kind of big on this kind of experimental, artsy, almost like um sort of new vaudeville. Like there was this whole kind of scene back in the uh, like late 80s, early 90s called new vaudeville, although this is coming from the 70s, so 1975. And they wind up being a very, very different band. I don't think Neil Finn was a member of this version of the group. But uh, I'm a big fan of Split Ends. And then of course they they morph into crowded house. If you took the 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 best of the split ends rec, um, tracks and added them to the best of the of the crowded house tracks, you would have like a a monster like two CD set that where every song is just a gem. They're really just totally underrated. Like they make just great pop music. 
Um, their videos are a little wonky because they're they're coming out of the 80s. Like that's early 80s like video production. But um they're a tremendous group. And I think Neil and Tim Finn are still recording. God bless them. Um, anyway, maybe I'll play some more split ends next week once we get set up. Because there's plenty of really good tracks. And we could get into a whole crowded house thing. They just have a knack for melody, man. They find those hooks are really good hooks. And it was tough, you know. I wanted it's like, well, what do I play today? Because they have they have so many good songs. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. So a band that I I I saw them once when they were when they were split ends. It was incredible. Like really incredible, high energy fucking show. Amazing. And they were they were excellent as crowded house, different vibe, but you know, I saw I saw a crowded house as well. Anyway, enough split ends. How was everybody today? Uh let's see, who do we have here? My man, DJ MC. What's going on, brother Mike? Susie Gemini back in the house. CC Jones, fantastic. Kabuki Theater just saw the uh, trailer for the Book of Clarence, Jay Z's version of Black Jesus as a hustler. You posted that at 9 11, Bo. Good timestamp. Ryan, what's going on? Good to see you back. We got the 9 11 crew. Uh, let's see. Lila. Making the hop, skip, and the jump over here. Really, Brandy, she's really here. Been sleeping later. I was up early. I was up at 4.30 today. Kelly B is back. Hi, Kelly B. The best perk of winter is sleeping. I wouldn't know that right now. Enjoy it for me, please. Uh, let's see. Father Time is back. What's happening, FT? Been a while. The Tiffer checking in from San Antonio. Need Max Headroom. Exactly. My man Thor by the door. Not quite Thor's day, but we're knocking on the door's day. Moira in NYC. She's here with us. Elvis Costello. A little bit. There's actually a band that opened for Elvis Costello when I saw him once called Aztec Camera. That reminds me a little bit of Split Ends, although Split Ends tend, tends to have a bit more synthesizer. And uh, Aztec Camera were a really good band. Now I'm dating myself. Uh, let's see. Elvis Costello, I had a crush on. He's a Virgo. I saw him one time. I saw him one time in London. Uh, walking down the street in London, I saw Elvis Costello. It's that it's that posh area of London. Uh, let's see, Veronica, a good song. I like you know I like Elvis Costello. Up to punch the clock. I'm not always crazy about his. Burt Bacharach-esque meanderings. I'm just saying. I like I like the short, hooky, get inside your, your cranium, two to three minute songs. 
I think from the first record to Imperial Bedroom, Punch the Clock, to me, that's like Imperial Castell that I really like. Um, let's see, who else do we have here? Um, let's see. SP Dimples is here. Getting settled in soon. That's going to be an interesting proposition. I feel like there's going to be a trash compactor of my life coming up. Um, I think we're all caught up. We're all caught up for now. Okay. So here's what's happening with the site. I just hired somebody last night to build me a new 15 minutes of flame site because I just don't have the time. And there's going to be some stuff built in like SEO and a few other things. It, it will be a better version of the previous site. And I think a Mercury retrograde is a good time to go at it. So I don't have an ETA on when the new website will be built. Um, but I'm hoping that we can launch something by the end of the year. I don't, I don't think it, it's going to be that hard because we're using an off the shelf product with a, you know, template version and, uh, we'll, you know, we'll just put the hammer and the nails together as long as it has reasonable functionality and allow me to do what I was doing before. We're good, right? So also the site has been locked down with Cloudflare and a bunch of other stuff. So we've done our best to make it as hack-free as possible. Uh, and I'm looking forward to being back on the site. And and I really have to figure out. So yesterday I went to go get internet hooked up at the new place, meaning that I started an account with the internet provider which is cool because it's less than a, it's about a mile away from where I live. I, I kind of feel good about that. And I'm getting um, the fastest upload that they have. It's a thousand megabytes per second on the upload. So I'm hoping that it'll improve the quality of the streaming. I mean, there's been issues here, obviously. And, and I hope that translates into the picture as well so that we'll have a more kind of robust experience. And I've got some other things that I'm, I'm trying to break out. Um, and I just need some time to set them up, even new cameras that are, and could be part of the new system. So lots of changes, most of them good um, on this side, right? Like it's more built out stuff uh, over on the, uh, robertphoenix.com side, and we'll see if we can integrate it over here as well. Uh, working on a store uh, which would have products for 15 minutes of flame, uh, Astro Weather, if you wanted to get something from any of those, Friday Forecast, 11th House, there's going to be products. And I'm not doing them. 
somebody else. I'm hiring. I'm hiring that out. Right. I'm learning what my limitations are. As Clint Eastwood once said, "A man's got to know his limitations." So that's my limitation. I'm, I'm figuring it out. And I'm on the fence, but leaning towards completely redoing the robertphoenix.com website as well. That's in discussion. Uh, the, the, there's been a, a massive sea change at, at PayPal when it comes to links. And now they're they're um, using API. They're not using HTML. So I've, I've got to like dive into WooCommerce and do all this other stuff, right? It's like things evolve and change. So anyway, you'll you know we'll 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 still be able to hang out um, here, but here meaning the old website with using Boxcast as the backend, which I think is a really good streaming service. I think the quality of the of the picture and stream is uh, quite good. Well, I think we get into trouble when we go over to YouTube and Rumble, and maybe the the faster upload speed will will be helpful. Anyway, enough of that shit. Let's let's talk about today's topic because I'm only going to be here for probably another forty minutes or so. Alex Jones. You know, I posted on Alex Jones on Twitter, and I didn't get a lot of feedback on my on my post. And it was more of a timeline post than anything else, since we're dealing with his resurrection. Um Let's see what we have here. Yeah, Robert Kraft. Something like a little divergence. Uh, Robert Kraft is in the news. You know Bob Kraft. He's the uh, owner of the New England Patriots. I'll, I'll cover that later. Let's get into Alex Jones a little bit. Okay, so what I posted on, on Twitter has to do with what was going on with Alex Jones in 2016. Like this is a really pivotal time for alternative media. We're in a Mercury retrograde. It's always good to look back. If you really look at Alex and his content, I would say that he, prior to Trump, he would have been classified more as a Ron Paul libertarian. Ron Paul used to show up on Alex Jones a lot. They're both from, both have ties to Austin, deep ties to Austin. And Alex was kind of the, you know, psychedelic libertarian you know, outlaw. That was kind of that was kind of his brand. And in that regard, Jones was always somewhat trustworthy. 
because of his fear of government, right? His disrespect of these corporate institutions who had moved into this merging with the government, right? And he talks about how he read all the white papers and everything, right? And so Jones was, I would say, apolitical, with the exception of the Ron Paul kind of, you know, liberty movement, right? Like that's that's where his politics were at. And this is and so that made him kind of trustworthy to people that were watching his show. You know, people were cynical, suspicious. You know, Alex is is uh, you know doing these these deep dives and these rants and, and bringing up all this you know tangential material, most of which was relevant, some of which was just dead end rabbit holes that he would take you down. Um. But for the most part, you know, he hadn't completely shot his cred wad. Unless, of course, you watched his interview with Bill Cooper or David Duke, in which case you knew that there was sacred ground upon which Alex could and would never tread. There are two interviews that are kind of epic in the sense that Alex gets kind of owned. And he's usually on top in most of it, either because he's interrupting everybody all the time or um, he, well, it's part of the interruption because through the interruption, he establishes his dominance authority. Like he knows more than the other person. And he, and he gets those words in edgewise. Right. So, he was a prime candidate for somebody like Trump to connect with. There is a huge uh, potential energetic cultural voting block that Jones was, for all intents and purposes, gatekeeping. He would say that he was the tip of the spear. And the spear being who was listening to InfoWars, who was buying like the supplements and all the other shit, uh, the emergency stuff, the, the the crank radios, you know, all that, all that hustle and jive. Um, and quite the numbers were significant. You know, at that time, I don't know where Alex is in terms of radio syndication, but there is there was this period of time where he was wildly syndicated across terrestrial radio. So he would do his show on video and then he would put it up on, on YouTube. There, he was, there wasn't the live streaming capacity on YouTube yet. This is, this is sort of in the early, this is like the early 2010s. Eventually that would come. And so Alex... Alex would have his own live stream apart from YouTube. Pretty advanced in terms of um, the technical side of things, which meant that he had money. He had money and he had a number of people that knew what they were doing. A lot of those people would ultimately leave InfoWars 
many of which under not so uh, satisfactory circumstances. The latest being David Knight, whom I really like. I think David Knight is great. And he is completely unrepentant of his criticism around Alex Jones. Everything was fine until COVID hit. And it's when David Knight started to question Trump over his COVID policies. And Alex just um, was not into it, right? And eventually, David couldn't keep his mouth shut, which I don't blame him. And he he got sacked from Infowars. And he was a really good early morning guy. Because that's, that's what David did. He did the early morning. He, now he's just doing it on his own. I guess he's doing okay. But let's go back in time. The 2016. 2016, this is what I believe happens. Now, Steve Pachenik had embedded himself in Alex Jones's world for a while. You never saw him. You know, he was like deep throat. He was just the guy on the phone with interesting things to say. Clearly, an insider. An insider who knew the game. And Pachenik's a dark figure. You know, he's one of these guys who was always in the shadows until he wasn't when he came out on video on Alex's show. And I think even that was kind of staged in some ways. Like, okay, I'm not a spook. I'm transparent. You can see me. Pachenik's been around. Then we see the urges of Roger Stone coming into the Jones camp. And I don't think Stone was there prior to 2016. And I watched a lot of InfoWars. And I don't remember him being around. Pre so Stone, of course, is in the Trump camp. He was pardoned by Donald Trump. That's how close Donald Trump is to Roger Stone. And Roger Stone cut his teeth with Richard Nixon and the neocons. Roger Stone for Donald Trump is kind of his uh, modern day version of Roy Cohn. Although Mike, he wanted Michael Cohen to be that, it's really kind of more Roger Stone. Right? Like Roger Stone is kind of a consigliere to Trump. They both live in Florida. Um, and Stone, also a presence in your... Anyway, Roger Stone starts popping up on InfoWars. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Sort of. Because whenever Roger Stone was on InfoWars, he never had anything interesting to say. He For, for somebody who was such a, an insider, I never got any real insight for... Like half the shit he said, I could have figured out more than half. And and I and I would sit there and listen. Like, where is this guy going? And, and are we going to get anything of real value? And most of the time was no. So what was Roger Stone there to do? Well, first of all, he was there to get paid because Alex Jones was paying Roger Stone. Somebody was paying Alex Jones. 
and it it's not just the the you know the penis pills and the and the potions and everything else that he sells. There's there was money coming into Infowars. Somebody was paying for Roger Stone's salary. That's my sense. I could be completely wrong. Maybe it's just ad generated revenue, um, sales marketing revenue. Maybe that's it. But he was there, and he was there to help push the Trump agenda. Okay, that's why Roger Stone was there. Pachinik is there to push the Trump agenda. Now, I don't know what Roger Stone and C. Pachinik's relationship is. Maybe off, you know, off the internet, they're, they're Machiavellian bed buddies. I don't know. Right. But clearly they were there and Pachenik had been there before. He really literally comes online during the, the, the whole 2016 run up to the election. You see his fucking face. You see Roger Stone. And Alex Jones had Trump on at least one time, maybe more. I know he had him on at least one time. And then after that, it was like he's all in. Right? He's all in and he's he is choo-choo Charlie on the Trump train. And then of course, all the alt-right broadcasters and the influencers start popping up. Yanopoulos, Mike Cernovich, Jack Posobiec, Laura Loomer, but you know the crew. They all start popping up. And they wind up popping up and into Jones's show a lot. Right. So this was going to be the new guy. Remember, Ben Shapiro did not like Trump. So he's not really part of this. Ben Shapiro was a Ted Cruz guy. Um, so Alex becomes like the gatekeeper for the, the alt-right people. And you can see this really at the climax of this four-year cycle when they have the stop the steal. And you have everybody that I talked about and then some show up and are dispatched by Jones to various state capitals around the country uh, or where they're dealing with the vote, right? Like the, the, the state, like going to Michigan or going to Pennsylvania, right? So you would have like, Jack Posobiec and so on would go to some place and um, Mike Cernovich. So they, you know, they were, it was like the Avengers and they were assembling. So it's the same group that starts to get eyeballs at the beginning of this period in 2016 when Jones is stumping for Donald Trump. This is what he's doing. He is committed to helping Donald Trump become president of the United States and to turn a disaffected, alienated, and cynical demographic into who, who have some American principles around freedom and truth and the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, but to, to put them, to move them into, into, MAGA, into MAGA land.
That's what Jones's job was. And he would, there was a period where he was always talking up Trump, always talking up Trump. He talked, I talked to him, you know, I talked to him offline, offline a lot. Now, there was a rumor, I don't know if it's true or not, but there was a rumor that Trump would watch InfoWars while he was in the White House, but that they took it away from him. And that the only thing he could watch was um, Fox News. I don't know if that's true or not. But that was circulating during that time. And it worked, right? It worked. Trump got elected, and, and I think Alex Jones played a huge role in the election of Trump. And there was um, like a MAGA ball, and they were all very happy, very proud. Chefs were puffed out. They were cocky, smoking cigarette, uh, cigars, right? Like it was their moment. And Trump was going to be their guy, and they helped put him there, and he was going to be their avenging angel, right? That was how this thing was supposed to play out. I think it was probably around 2018. It was 2018 when uh, there was some weird shit in Syria, right? Like, a, like really a, a fake attack. And there was a ton of pressure on Trump to retaliate. You guys know what I'm talking about. And he ordered that there was this abandoned, I don't know, military depot. He ordered that these F-16s would, would uh, fire some missiles into it. But apparently... He knew that nobody would be there. He may even had a back channel to Assad. It was it was kind of like here you go. Here's your here's your little retribution. I don't even think anybody was killed. Alex Jones lost his mind. He lost his mind. He started cursing. He started um, bad mouthing Trump, and that was the beginning of the end. Let's go back a year before that. The tension was already palpable in 2017. Why? Because in 2017, October 2017, a little less than a year after the election, it marks the emergence of Q. QAnon. QAnon, in my estimation is the next step in the operation, right? Alex was theoretically QAnon personified, right? He, he, he was the mad wizard, you know, behind the door, behind the screen, who had gone down all the various rabbit holes. So he was able to explain what was going on and give people these answers about what's going on. Wow, I can't swallow. It's weird. There, I did it. That was strange. You ever have that happen? Anyway, and what happened with Jones is that very quickly he had been displaced by Q. Not just in terms of 
perhaps the importance that he may have played or had in the election of Trump. But now all of a sudden there was this decentralized entity that was in some ways a more compelling gatekeeper than Alex Jones. And the reason why is because Q is interactive. Right. You know, we love puzzles. We love solving things. We love mysteries. And that's what Q did. And when there were enough breadcrumbs or Easter eggs to find, some of which were there, I think, planted on purpose, some of which, for whatever reason, were synchromystically aligned, but most of them, I believe, were on purpose. It kind of made Alex Jones irrelevant. This is where Jones's trouble started, right around this time. You know, you go back to Sandy Hook, all that stuff happened in 2012 with Sandy Hook meaning the Sandy Hook thing. And so whatever, you know, whatever he was yammering on about, about Sandy Hook, that was way before 20, but 2018, there is the first rendering of a decision with Sandy Hook, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was August 7th, 2018. So Jones's troubles really start in a lot of ways with Q because he'd been replaced. And he had this guy on his show during that time named Zach. And Zach was his version of Q. Like he was trying to convince people that this um, ex-military operative was his version of Q. So he was literally trying to compete with Q as a brand and a gatekeeper. And he knew this, right? And he knew that, that Q was about to become the McDonald's of truth. And that's where Alex really starts to deconstruct and be, and start to implode a lot like his behavior has become more and more erratic and that leads up to 2018 where there's the Sandy Hook development so by that time Q is really going strong right and this is this is just me my sense is, is that Alex Jones was used Steve Pachanik even talks about it. He talks about the coup, and we chose you to instigate the coup. I bet Alex didn't know that he was being chosen to instigate the coup. And once the coup was over, he was replaceable. And what's interesting is, I, I don't know if, if Alex had just kept his mouth shut about the whole Syria thing, and just said, you know, let's break this out. I don't think Trump is an interventionist. Maybe this is a strategic strike. But that's not how Alex was rolling. And he's all, you know, bulk and nerve. 
I mean, that's that's just how he's wired. So of course he, I think he fucking cried. I don't know how many times he's also publicly broken up with Trump. I can count on my on one hand at least three. I don't even I don't even watch Infowars anymore. But over the course of the time that I did watch it, clearly he was um, making up from the breakup. And at one point, he even said, "I should never, I should never have supported Donald Trump. It was the worst thing that's ever happened in my life." He said that. What's fascinating to me about this whole thing with Jones and Trump is that when Jones started to get deplatformed, he got deplatformed in 2018. My bad, it wasn't Sandy Hook. It was the deplatforming in 2018, August 7th, 2018. YouTube cuts him out. The Sandy Hook judgments come later. But now he's cut out. And during that time, what what do you have populating YouTube? You've got all these fucking Q channels from every Tom fucking Dick and Harry who are taking the, the clues and decoding them, right? So not only was Alex Jones displaced in terms of the source of esoteric information and conspiracy theories by Q, his own show in a lot of ways was displaced by all these people who were part of that world, right? The MAGA Q world. And his usefulness was over. And he didn't, you know, and he's been sort of toiling in sort of the, the, the background here for a while. And when you would hear about him, you'd hear about him through like the Sandy Hook stuff. But for all intents and purposes, he was done, right? He was still, people still liked him and found him entertaining and whatever. So he would still sell merch. Um, he'd still sell his supplements. And who, who knows where else he's getting this funding? Right, because he's connected. When he started off, he uh, what was the name of that? Radio Genesis, the Genesis Radio Network, which was run by this guy named Jeff Schmulian, who for a period of time owned the Seattle Mariners. Like I don't know how that guy wanted to buy the Seattle Mariners. Anyway, Schmulian was Alex's guy on the terrestrial side. And was helping him um, become syndicated. These are all very high power. These people are high powered and players uh, in a, in a pretty significant built out system. His first wife, um, Kimberly Jones, her lawyer, who's it? Jones's lawyer, through his first wife, that lawyer was also the lawyer for the Rothschilds. So Jones has some very interesting connections as he starts his, uh, you know, radio broadcast monopoly, for lack of a better term, not a monopoly, but radio broadcast <laughs> um, legacy. 
So there's Jeff Shmulian, who's a very powerful owner of this syndication network. And his lawyer, I guess, works for the Rothschilds and Moonlights for Alex Jones. So there's more to Alex Jones, which we're going to get into here in a second. So he has these forces behind him who have helped ramp him up. <laughs> I think you also have to take into account that there's intel lurking in the background with Alex. We'll get into that and his family connections. Um, but he really peaks there in 2016. And by, by, the, by 2017, he's done. Right, he's kind of 2018. He's really done. So he's got a, he's got a two year run in this kind of weird purgatory where he's trying to find his niche in the post Trump election world. Besides having Roger Stone on, who was a worthless guest or host, and besides having C. Pachinik on, like he's trying to find his post-Trumpian niche. And when Q surfaces in 2017, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of over. Right? He, and, and, I, and I think he probably intuited that in some ways. And during the platforming process, I never once saw or heard any support whatsoever from Donald Trump to Alex Jones. Never once. Like he never got on the phone with anybody from YouTube and said, you either put Alex Jones back on or be prepared to uh, triple your legal staff for when the IRS comes by on our next visit. Right, he he never, I, he never he never said anything. Never came to his defense. Never said you know this is absurd. I mean, maybe he did on his Twitter feed once or twice, but he never came out and shook the tree. I thought, well, that's interesting. This is a guy. And he was probably compensated for it, one would think. This is a guy that went all in and when it came time for the one person in this country who could have stood by him and said, you can't do that, he wasn't there. It kind of left him twisting in the wind. Maybe he had a few token tweets. I don't know. Right. And what's interesting about the whole Sandy Hook stuff is that it happens after, I mean, the, the judgments have to happen after Trump leaves office. So I don't know if he can pardon him in a civil suit. But I also wonder if Trump could have, like, future pardoned Alex Jones. I don't know what that looks like legally, but he didn't. He totally pardoned Jared Kushner's father. 
he pardoned uh, Kodak Black, the rapper, Jonathan Pollard, the spy, pardoned all those guys, but couldn't find find it in his purview to, or couldn't find it in his heart, let's use the word heart, to pardon Alex Jones. And I'm not saying that he should have, but it's, the whole thing feels weird. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of how they use WikiLeaks on in October 2016. Of course, Julian Assange was still um, in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy. And inasmuch as Jones was responsible for bringing a significant voter block over to Trump, those WikiLeaks in October, the October surprise of 2016, were... Game changers, real game changers. And um, again, theoretically, that was Julian Assange's baby. So what does Trump do two years later, three years later? Who's Julian Assange? Never heard of him. Never heard of the guy, right? Which is, in some ways, very typical Trump. And some people could make a, well, make a case for him, like, well, he has to say that. I don't really believe that. I think he got what he needed out of that transaction and wanted to distance himself as quickly as possible from Assange. Was he aware of that when it happened? Like, was he aware that this was going to be the transaction and this is what, what, what how it was going to go down and what it was going to look like? And, uh, and he had a choice in the matter to consciously accept it or not? I don't know. I don't know. But at the end of the day, his distancing himself from somebody who could be a blemish on the presidency and the Trump record was of paramount importance. And inasmuch as he did not recognize or acknowledge the existence of Julian Assange, he did the same with Alex Jones. Now, Jones would say, oh, I talked to him recently. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. But at the end of the day, once he got what he, what he wanted or needed, it was adios amigo. And that kind of brings us to the present because now Jones is making his, retur his return to the public square. And the timing around it is fairly interesting in that we're moving into another election cycle and if indeed there are free and fair elections then they would want to employ the same strategy right although this time it's bigger this time you have Alex Jones. You have Tim Pool, although Tim Pool was clearly in the Trump camp back in uh, 2020. You have Tim Pool. You have Russell Brand. You have Elon Musk. You have um, whoever else is part of their little truth or tribe. Andrew Tate, I'm from here. But can you see what's happening now, Charlie? Could the, the gatekeepers are, are starting to assemble and join forces 
and um, slingshot Trump into the presidency in 2024. That's what I think is happening here. That's my sense. So they're, they're bringing him back so he can wind people up again. Now, I don't know. I don't know what the terms and conditions are going to be for him. Maybe one of the uh, TNCs is that, you know, he gets out of the Sandy Hook stuff if he hugs Trump again and starts doing pro-Trump programming. I think it's possible. And Alex may say, hey, look, every now and then I, I got to drop a, a bomb so it looks like I'm not just carrying water for the Donald, right? That could be written into the whole sort of script. But there's a reason why he's coming back. There's a reason why he's returning. And it's not just in kind of any format. It's on it's on Twitter, X. And so there, therefore, there may be some precedent for him to return to YouTube. Although I don't think his, I don't think his revenue depends on it. Although it probably wouldn't hurt. But there's no way he'd get monetized. PayPal deplatformed him and then debanked him. All that shit was scary, by the way. And that was all part of it. You know, Alex Jones was the Moby Dick of the truth movement, no pun intended. Um, but if they could take him down, then everybody else watching could say, well, chief, they could do that to him, they could do that to me. And I think that there's some interesting truth to that. So he's on his way back right in time for another election cycle with a new and improved, bigger, broader, based and base-driven series of shows, networks, and broadcasters that would view Trump as a favorable candidate. It'll be interesting to see how Alex Jones responds to this. Part of me thinks that he's going to have to have some disclosure to keep it real. And then there's another part of me that thinks, well, he may just, just blow right up, right over it. And this is just my stance now. I've always had this stance that if you think otherwise, well, you're just crazy. I think I'll probably be the former versus the latter. I think he'll, I think he'll uh, be theoretically a bit more thoughtful and rationalize his situation and his choices as to whom he's voting for for president in 2020. Um, let's do this. I wanted to bring this up. Where is this? Where to go? Bring it out here. It's not there. That's not it. I was just over here. Can we go back to Twitter? Going back to Twitter where I know my bookmark is. Let's do this. Uh, right here. 
That's not it. That's some Hunter Biden shit. I'll talk about that in a bit. Here we go. Voila. I found it. All right. So this is the flow chart of Alex Jones's father. There's a website called Wikispooks. And this is David Ross Jones, spook dentist. So this is, uh, of course, at the head of the flowchart, the, the CIA. So this is David Ross Jones. That's what it says. Alex Jones's father, dentist, he's born in 1950, InfoWars co-founder, CIA operative, performed dental procedures on CIA officers and provided covert CIA financial support to Central American death squads during the 1980s. Carol Gretchen Han Hammond. This is Alex's mother. Alex Jones's mother, a homemaker and InfoWars co-founder and a CIA operative, provided housing and accommodations for East German political defectors during the 1980s. That's interesting. William Forrest Bill Hammond, Alex Jones's uncle, a Vietnam War helicopter pilot, a U.S. Army special ops agent, plus CIA black ops agent, who participated in the CIA's torture assassination Phoenix program during the Vietnam War and provided covert CIA logical, sorry, logistical support to Central American death squads in 1980s. So these are just immediate family members of Jones. Here's Erica Wolf, who's Jones's second wife. Probable CIA operative, yoga instructor, sex escort, American third world traveler, affiliated with CIA front voice, front voice of America. Interesting. University of Washington in Seattle, BA in history. And then here you have Alex himself. And then his cousins, Buckley Stratton Hammond and Verna Grace Chow who's the Korean gal that Alex talks about a lot. Uh, Werner Grace Chow, probable CIA operative and cybersecurity executive at Dell IBM Sourceman, spent childhood in high security U.S. government, diplomatic military compound in Guatemala City during the 80s. And there's some crossover with uh, Buckley Born 1974, Alex Jones' cousin, InfoWars co-founder and probable CIA operative, uh, spent childhood in high security, U.S. government diplomatic military compound, Guatemala, Guatemala City during the 1980s. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah, here we go. Spooks in the closet. So Alex is connected. But in his time of need, maybe not as connected as we think or that he would like.
I think I think it's interesting that that uh, he's kind of on the comeback trail. I'm not a huge fan, but the one thing that you know about Aquarians is that they're wild cards, and um, they bring a disruptive quality to whatever their endeavor is. So we'll see. We'll see what kind of disruption Alex is capable of if his body and his um, his body can handle it. The guy looks like he's got like massive blood pressure. But he's not alone now, right? You know, Elon Musk is sort of morphing into a version of Alex Jones. Tucker Carlson is morphing into a version of Alex Jones. Hell, even Russell Brand morphed himself into a version of Alex Jones. It's become a national pastime, a sport, if you will. So will he even make it through? I mean, a lot of people think that the whole Sandy Hook thing was a show trial. And eh, maybe, maybe. Could be a show trial. Still, if, if you have millions of people hating you, I can't even really comprehend what that would be like. To be one of the most hated and reviled people in this country. And, and I think Alex Jones is a close second to Donald Trump. And I, that's got to take a toll in the system. You know, just dealing with the constant array of dark vibrations going in your direction. It'll either kill you or turn you into a freaking god, right? If you can withstand that. So it'll be interesting. We'll see. Pluto goes into Aquarius. Alex Jones is, I think, born August 11th. Sun-Jupiter conjunction in Aquarius. So he's big. He's a big Aquarian, literally and figuratively. Okay, where are we? 10, 12. Um, I'm going to get out of here. Before I go, have you guys seen this mass candidate? It's almost like I don't want to open a can of worms on this thing because I have to go. But when I first saw it, I was like, what the fuck is this? Let me bring it up here. What is this thing? All right. Why don't we just do this? I'll just take you into the into the uh, into the Google search. When I, when I when I saw this, this thing was just blowing my mind. And it's kind of genius in some ways. So Ghana has a presidential election. And th this is one of the candidates for president 
and look, look at the language around that. The new force embraced the change. They have all these signs all around Ghana. The new force embraced the change. This is a fucking presidential candidate. They don't know who he is. He has no platform. That's it. The new force, a new Ghana, a new nation. You're going to vote for that. Remember how Barack Obama was almost a blank slate? Like nobody really knew much about him. He was a senator, but he barely voted on anything, was hardly ever there. You're a one-term senator, right? Well, this guy makes Barack Obama um, look look like, you know, we, we had, the you know, the full... Any biography on Obama before he got elected. This guy is just a mask and a platform, a mask and a saint. That's it. Now, supposedly, he's this businessman from Ghana. I think his name is Cheddar. I think that's his name. Yeah. It's unclear who the man behind the mask is on the billboards is, but most people have, believe it is a businessman named Nana Kwame Bediako, also known as Cheddar. It is obvious it is Cheddar. The statue of the individual looks exactly like him. Graphic designer Felix Frimprong, an Accra resident, told Semaphore Africa. They can pull this shit off. Just think about this. What if this guy runs the table and actually fucking gets elected president and he's like that for his entire presidency? I mean, think of the possibilities around him. First of all, you could stick anybody behind a mask. It wouldn't really matter, right? Anybody could be behind the mask. But let's say it's one person. Think of the qualities that wearing a mask like that would evoke. I mean, this is some next-level occult totalitarian flex, right? I'm kind of hoping he wins. I'm kind of hoping the the masked president wins. And I kind of hope he never takes it off. Because the world isn't really crazy enough. And then what I want is I want to see a masked candidate party. The new force. I want to see this new force party take off around the world. Where you have these new force candidates. Now, can you wear your own mask? Or does the mask have to be approved by new force? I haven't, I haven't crossed that river yet. But that would be the ultimate fucking psyop, right? The the new force party, which is global. And it's all these motherfuckers in these masks. I think it's kind of intriguing. Because I don't know if you... The thing with masks is that there's a power in a mask, you become somebody else. 
you channel the the qualities of the mask because there's you can see it right you can see the reflection of it but there's also just the power of the mask itself and becoming the thing that you're now obscuring your identity with look politicians wear fucking masks anyways oh i'm the good guy i'm the reformer i'm the social advocate i'm the outsider i'm the conservative i'm the christian they're all masks this one is at least an honest mask sign me up maybe the next time i run for city council i'll, I'll be representing the new force and wearing a mask maybe i should have just done that the whole time the mask candidate so as far as marketing goes this thing has taken off like wildfire like it is a great campaign i mean that shit's compelling the mask candidate the new force leadership for the next generation kind of imposing all right i'm out of here thank you everybody thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you just a little little you know little mercury retrograde trip around alex jones and um where he was how we got here he's a big part of how we got here right big part of how we got here and then he got kicked to the curb now he's back for the next go round. all right speaking of back i'll be back tomorrow over on uh astral weather and we'll see if we can squeeze out one more show here at the uh at studio a gonna miss the place all right take good care Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to send what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Bye for now.